Well, welcome everybody. I'm Father Chris Alar here live from Stockbridge at the National Shrine of the Divine Mercy. And it's an honor that you're here with us as we are continuing to take you with us back to seminary. Now, this is this week's topic is going to be church history because one of the classes that I enjoyed the most was church history. And this was a course that covered three of the biggest black eyes that we get as a church, but you have to understand there's more to the story. What are they? The Crusades, the Inquisition, and Galileo. And I'm gonna be covering all three of those, not today, but in future talks. So today we're gonna to cover the Crusades. I was going to do Islam with this, but it's so big, I'm splitting out Islam to next week to explain Christianity's relationship with Islam, which we will do next week. So today we're taking you to our church history seminary course on the Crusades. Let us begin with a prayer in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we ask you send the Holy Spirit down upon us to give us peace as, as your people. Especially we pray for the victims of Miami and the collapsing of the condominium that has caused many lives and tragedies. We ask that you help console that you do console and we help to pray for all those victims and those in need. And we ask all this through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father and of the Son <clears throat> and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, again, thank you, everybody. As you saw from your slide, one of the objectives today is to give you the real truth not a one-sided, skewed version. Yes, Christians made mistakes in the Crusades, and we're going to certainly talk about that. But what has happened in our history is the schools and the story has gotten really perverted in the wrong direction. They're not giving you the full truth. Today, we want to clarify and give you the full truth on the Crusades. All right. As I mentioned, this is a big black eye that the church has, but it's mainly because people don't understand what happened in the Crusades. As Fulton Sheen said, and I quote this all the time, millions of people hate what they think is the Catholic Church, but very few, if any, hate what actually is the Catholic Church. And this case in point is the Crusades. This is a perfect example. All right, I'm gonna give you some history today, but then we're gonna get into a deeper meaning, the spiritual meaning of what was going on in the Crusades. So bear with me in the first half, we'll get through the history, but then we're gonna to get to the interesting stuff. What does it mean for us today? All right. The Crusades were first called in the year 1095. They lasted about 200 years officially. There were eight main Crusades that we talk about. First Crusade, Second Crusade, Third Crusade. Eight total main ones, and it ended in the year 1291 at the fall of Arkers. And this is Acre. Uh, so this was kind of the accepted standard. Now. Battles with Christianity and Islam continued after that, though. You had Vienna and Lepanto. Those are going to be big ones I talk about next week. They battles went all the way into the 17th century, and they have an effect on us today. Let's look at our next slide. 
But during the Crusades I'm going to be talking about, we have some huge names. Richard the Lionhearted, you've all heard that. On your screen, St. Louis. Most of you probably only think of St. Louis as the city, right? Or the sports team. He was the only French king ever to become a saint. My favorite, you also know I talk about the divine dozen that I turn to. St. Louis the Ninth is one of those. All right. So there's big names. Now, the problem and why I'm bringing all this up is because our children today are indoctrinated in the schools to not learn the truth on the matters of the church. All right, what am I talking about? All right, what our kids are taught and what I've heard from many non-Catholics, you have to know how to defend our faith. You can't love what you don't know. And if you want to love your faith, if I really believed that the church did what I was told they did in the Crusades, in the Inquisition, and with Galileo, I wouldn't be able to be a Catholic because it just doesn't, it, it's not what the church is about. Ironically, it's not what the church is about because the church, there's two sides of the story. And my goal is to clarify for that for you today, starting with the Crusades and the others later. Now, the fact is, we are told that the Crusades were nothing but imperialism, that, that the Christians slaughtered peaceful Muslims. And this was all that was about the truth is actually documented, and we're gonna show you some of the places. The Crusades began as defensive wars responding to four centuries of invasion from Islam. And that is what happened here, this Islamic jihadists. Now, the invasion of Christian territory and Muslim persecution, especially of pilgrims going to Jerusalem that were being beheaded, were the reasons they called the First Crusade, okay, to engage in defense. Here's why. The Byzantine, which is basically Eastern Catholic, you've heard the term Byzantine. We are Latin, right? In the East, we are Western, all right? In the East, we know as Byzantine. Now, that was the glory of Christendom. Rome was in the West, Constantinople was in the East. We call that the Byzantine Empire. Now, it basically was gigantic and was reduced to basically Greece. What happened? Let's take a look at our next slide. One of the examples, the many examples that we want to talk about is Hagia Sophia. What does that mean? Holy wisdom. Look at this church on your screen. Isn't that incredible? That was the single greatest church, Catholic church in the world, in our existence. It's now a mosque. Let's look at the second slide. This gives you an idea of how expansive and beautiful that church was. And now look at the pillars that has been put up as a mosque. This is what's been going on. This has been what is the issue. The Muslims ordered the destruction, for instance, of the Holy Sepulchre Church in Jerusalem. All right, the church in Jerusalem, the Holy Sepulchre, is very important to Christianity. It was built by Constantine and his mother, St. Helena, in the fourth century. It's part of our story. 
And so there was a lot of complaints when the church took back Haji Sophia because they said, well, it was a mosque. Well, before it was a mosque, it was a Catholic church. Then the Catholics got it back. Then it became a museum. Now it's back to being a mosque. Now, there are many examples of why the Crusades happened. Let's look, for instance, in 1065, 12,000 German pilgrims were massacred on Good Friday in the Holy Land. 12,000 on Good Friday in the year 1065. So by the end of the 11th century, let's look at our screen there. This is a shocking map. Look at all that green. By the end of the 11th century, the forces of Islam had captured two-thirds of Christendom. Two-thirds of the Christian world was lost. Look at your map. That's startling. All right, Jerusalem, the home of Jesus Christ, gone. Egypt, the birthplace of Christian monasticism, gone. Asia Minor, where St. Paul planted the seeds of Christianity, gone. They were all taken. So this is what the Christian church stood up and said, wait a minute, if we don't do something, we're going to lose everything. Islam pressed westward. Now they moved towards Constantinople, which was the capital of the Eastern Catholic Church. Ultimately, they took it. It's now called Istanbul in Turkey. Then they started to press into Europe. So this is before, all of this happened before the church did a thing. Don't you think listening to that? Now, do you think if the, 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 the tide was reversed and the Christians were moving in and taking apart all the land by physical force, that somebody wouldn't say, well, gee, in history, looking back, it's good that somebody stopped them. Yeah, you bet they would. So all this was going on. It was unprovoked aggression that at some point caused the Christians to say, we have to react. We don't have a choice. So what happened? In desperation, the emperor of Constantinople, the capital of the Eastern Church, which is now Turkey, Istanbul, cried out for help to the Christians in the West, which is interesting because the East split from the West a few years earlier in 1054. That's called the Great Schism. That's why we have, I should do a whole talk on that. That's why we have us as Catholics and under the Pope, but we also have Eastern and Russian Orthodox. You know, the very elegant masses and, and they're called Orthodox. They split. But now the East who split from us was crying out for help. They cried back to the West, to the Pope, to us, the Latin Rite Church and said, help us. We're losing everything. Our people are being beheaded. Our churches are being destroyed. Our land is being taken. Please help us. So let's look at the next slide. Pope Urban II in 1095 called the First Crusade at the Council of Claremont. The Pope preached not violence and attack, but he preached, we're gonna go on a pilgrimage an armed pilgrimage 
to be able to defend these pilgrims, to recover lost Christian territory and mainly the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem fell. It was in the hands of Islam, the place of Christ, the place of David, gone. So <clears throat> he called upon the French knights, right? The Christians of the West to help the Christians in the East. The Crusades were not, and I repeat this, the Crusades were not a response of some power-hungry pope or Knights Templar in the Da Vinci Code that said Jesus married Mary Magdalene and they had the Holy Grail. Don't fall for that garbage. The truth has been documented and we're gonna share that with you today. It was a response to four centuries of attack, as we said, where two thirds of Christianity was taken. The Crusades were launched to recover to get back these Christian territories and return them to Christ so that we could worship back again in the churches, right? Which is one of the criteria that justifies armed conflict. If there is protection or self-defense, the church is taught armed conflict can be allowed. And I'm going to talk about what's a just war coming up. Now, the big justification for these, these knights to be armed and going on pilgrimage was self-defense and protection of the innocent people who were threatened on pilgrimages. They were being beheaded. So the goal was to protect these pilgrims going to Jerusalem from being enslaved or killed. This is a pretty noble cause. Now, did they make mistakes? Absolutely, and we'll talk about those. So here's what Pope Urban II said. Now, I need to give you a warning. If you have children watching right now, this is a little graphic, but I think I have to read you his quote so that you have an understanding, okay, of the seriousness of what was happening. So if you have a young child that you don't want to hear a little bit of graphic description, please turn down the volume on your computer. This is a description from Pope Urban II of why he called the Crusades. He said, the Muslims are taking the Christians. They are cutting open their navels and spilling out their intestines. They then are tying the intestines to a stake and they are driving the men around the stake in a circle until all of their intestines are spilled out and wrapped around the stake. And then they are forcibly circumcised, the Christians, and their blood is put into the holy water fonts. They are then going in and desecrating the altars." End quote. If you're a Christian at that time and this is happening, do you not feel that maybe it was justified to say, Somehow we have to end this. They tried negotiation. They tried talking. It continued. Let's look at our next slide. This is what Pope Urban gave to the Crusaders. You see that? That's a Jerusalem cross or a Crusaders cross. You see it on sometimes the, pro the priest's vestments. 
It's a cross, and then there's a little cross on each of the four corners. One big cross, and then in each corner is a little cross. Now, the Crusades basically started what we call religious military orders, a new knighthood. You've all seen the pictures, the Knights Templar, right? Uh, the, the Knights of uh, Malta, the Teutonic Knights. You've heard all of the Da Vinci Code, you know, the famous crusaders with the big metal uh, face mask that look like a hockey player, the big red cross on their chest. What is this all about? This is something that's important in our history and we've blocked it out as Christians. Let's look at our next slide. You see this statue? This is actually the statue on my desk. This statue is a statue of the Knights Templar, the very first military order. All right, their story is not, as I said, about stealing the Holy Grail or uh, harboring Mary Magdalene as, a, as the child of Jesus. She was carrying Jesus' child. None of that. What is the true story of the Knights Templar? Something that we should all know and nobody knows anymore. The true story is after the Crusades and Jerusalem fell, the Crusaders went back and in the first Crusade, they took Jerusalem back again. Now, they didn't plunder it. They didn't steal. They went back home. The problem was, how do you defend the city now once you go back home? They didn't stay there for booty. They went back home. So what happened? The formed new group that we all know as the Knights Templar today was formed. And you know what it really means? The poor Knights of the Temple. Knights Templar. The poor Knights of the Temple. The Temple in Jerusalem that Jesus used to go to. They were formed to defend the pilgrims in Jerusalem. So they took the white habit of the Cistercian monks. Let's put that back up again if we can, uh, Owen, if you don't mind that last slide. You see that knight is wearing a white, looks like a habit of a Cistercian monk. And it is added to it the red cross. So that's, I just wanted to show they could take that back down because they took vows they took vows like we do as religious. They had many non-fighting men, but they had some who took arms. They were supported by the Pope and they were put in many other countries. So they built these castles in Palestine. They were both monasteries and military barracks and they still stand today. <clears throat> but when you go there and you see these castles, Everybody wants to make up some kind of fables or stories or folklore about it. Oh, the secret society and the skull and the bones. So the knights were on the battlefield, but also monks in the chapel. They were monks and they were soldiers. They fought the Muslims and many died as martyrs. In fact, 20,000 died in war. So all of a sudden now they're losing a lot of men. They started to take lesser candidates. Now, to show the sincerity, these men had to go through being tested in secret. And that's where all the rumors came from. They would not reveal the secrets 
of their society and the testing that they would go through to show loyalty to Jesus Christ. So because they wouldn't reveal the secrets, history went wild with rumors. The Holy Grail, Mary Magdalene having Jesus' child, and they hid his descendant line. And in the line of Jesus, it, it was crazy. Now, what is true, though, is they did become wealthy through real estate, but it doesn't mean that they were some secret, crazy society. They were, in fact, um, wealthy and prominent. Now they were challenged for control of Jerusalem by a second group called the Hospitallers. I'm going to talk about in a minute. But they governed Jerusalem, and yes, they made many mistakes. And that's why Jerusalem fell a second time. Now, St. Louis the Ninth, who I showed you a minute ago, one of my top dozen, divine dozen favorite saints, he brought these two groups together, the uh, Knights Templar and the Hospitallers. And for a moment, there was peace. But what happened was these Knights Templar did fall out of trust with the church. And without the Pope's permission, certain men of the church went after them. That doesn't mean the church sanctioned it. You can have bad men within the church. Either the Knights Templar were doing bad things or the men who went after him and accused him were, do, were lying and saying bad things. So one of the reasons they went after him was their secrecy, which these rites of initiation were happening. The secrecy called many rumors and wild stories. Remember, we always fear what we don't know. So the Templars, listen to this. This is what you saw in the Da Vinci Code. This is what you hear in schools. This is the Catholic Knight Templars. They spit on the cross. They denied Jesus Christ. They permitted sodomy. They worshiped idols. There's no proof of this. So they were put on trial and most agreed to the accusations. Why? Because they were being tortured to death. Now, this was only, the only ones who admitted anything bad were in France. Other places, Portugal, Spain, Germany, Cyprus, Italy, they were found innocent. It could never be proved that they did anything wrong. But that secret rule they had was a cause for suspicion. Distinct from their official rule was never proven. It was never proven that their official public rule was any different from their private secret rule. But yet they were accused of it. Now we don't know, but there's no proof that it was. And you're gonna be taught in history and through the Da Vinci Code that this is what they did. No. So finally the Pope gave in to the pressure and he dissolved them, but he never condemned them. And their property was turned over to another group, the black knights with the white crosses. These guys, the, uh, the Knights Templar, were white with red crosses. And there was another group that was less than black with white crosses. They were called the Hospitallers or St. John of Jerusalem. Now, their job also was to defend Jerusalem, but the two didn't get along. So later, the Grand Master of the Knights Templar, who admitted that they did these things wrong because he was being tortured to death, then said, no, we didn't. I did it because I was being tortured severely. And he 
took back all his alleged confessions. He was then killed because of it. And that was the end of the Knights Templar. That was the end of them. They, like I said, accused of many, many things. Now, another group that was their rival, which seems weird. Why would Christians have rivals amongst each other? Well, we do today, Protestants and Catholics. But this other group called the Hospitallers, let's show our slide. This is the blacks outfits with the white crosses. They existed and still exist today. They never were shut down. They're now today known as the Knights of Malta. Let's take a look. You recognize that person? That's Cardinal Burke. Cardinal Burke was the head of the Knights of Malta. There you see him with the modern Knight of Malta symbol. Cardinal Burke, the emblem black with a white cross. Both of these two groups had an obligation of defending Jerusalem. Now, they too had a lot of real estate. They were important at the Battle of Lepanto. I'll talk about that next week. But Leo XIII, you've all heard me say the greatest pope ever in the church, basically said they were good. So since 1870, they have been devoted to helping soldiers in the battlefield, being an ambulance service in the field of battle. All right, now, that being said, Father Chris, why are you defending all the crusades? Are you telling us nothing bad happened? Yeah, there did. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about the biggie. Uh, if we could silence our cell phones, please, that would be great. Let's talk about the biggie, the fourth crusade. Let's take a look at our next slide. You probably don't even know what the fourth crusade is. I'm going to tell you a story. The fourth crusade was one of the worst things that's ever happened between Christians. Christians killing Christians. Christians attacking Christians. We shouldn't attack or kill anybody, but especially our own brothers. What happened? All right. Christian armies sacked the Constantinople. And you're like, Father, you just said that was the capital of Eastern Catholicism. Yes. But in the Fourth Crusade, it was ransacked by Christians. What are you talking about? All right. Pope Innocent III called for a new crusade in 18, uh, 1198. And the French barons planned and met to say, we got to get to the Holy Land again. We got to go defend her again because she's fallen again. So they went <clears throat> and they said, we're going to go by sea this time. We're going to actually travel by sea. We're not going to march 2,000 miles by foot. We're going to get on boats and we're going to take boats to the Holy Land, right? I guess it'd be through the Mediterranean. Somebody can correct me on that. But before they did, they had to make a plan. So the boat builders in Venice, you ever see those pictures of Venice, right? The flooded streets with, with the, the, the music playing and the couple in the boat and the, and the guys playing the violin or whatever, and he's singing. That's... That's a beautiful example of the Italian beauty. And they, in Venice, wanted to build the boats. So they told them to make 30,000. Problem was, only 13,000 crusaders showed up. 
So the Venice boat builder said, we want our money. And the crusader said, we only got 13,000 men. We don't have the money to pay you for 30,000. They said, you better pay up. So Venice faced a real problem if they didn't get their money. It was going to shut the city down. It was all focused on building these boats for the crusaders. They didn't have any money to pay them, though. The crusaders only had 13,000 of them. But if they didn't go to the Holy Land, they were failing in their crusade and their soul would be in jeopardy because the Pope said part of the crusade is to save your soul. Now, Pope or Prince Alexius Angelus, all right, said that if you free my father who is imprisoned in Constantinople, I'll pay your debt. And they all said, all right, let's go to Constantinople. The Pope heard about this and he says, don't you dare. Pope Innocent III and the Crusaders didn't listen. So what the Crusaders are about to do was never supported by the church. The Pope told them, don't do it. But all the Crusaders went, they got to Constantinople and when they got there, Constantinople didn't side with this prince who was leading the crusaders. They turned against him. Now, what happened? So the crusaders went there and they besieged the city. And this new emperor who was in Constantinople wouldn't give in. And so they took over. And this young prince became the new emperor and released his father. Then he turned around and guess what? He couldn't pay the boat builders. He promised them and he still couldn't pay them. So this new emperor comes in, bear with me on this history, we're getting it close here. The Alexis V and he killed the prior emperor who owed the money. He had declared himself the emperor. Now, unable to be able to be financed, the crusaders were ticked off. Their journey from Constantinople to Jerusalem was now over and they murdered, or he was murdered, this Alexius, who owed them the money. He had been murdered by the, the new emperor. So now the crusaders said, we're in trouble. So they decided to attack. They decided to attack Constantinople. And despite the papal protests, it was one of the worst things in Christian history. You know the split between the East and the West, between uh, the Catholics and the Orthodox, the Russian Orthodox and the Greek Orthodox? People will say that it's because of the filioque way, the, the words we use in the creed. It was originally, but the reason we've never come back together, truthfully, really many people believe, is this fourth crusade. And this is what happened. So this whole fourth crusade was not motivated by greed, nor part of some plot of Rome to attack the East. It was none of that. You'll read that, you'll hear that, you'll be told that. The crusaders only desired to go to the Holy Land to liberate Jerusalem, but in a series of bad decisions, they blundered. And then what happened? Islam took over. Now we are in a mess. All right, so now we're gonna start. What does this all mean? Let's look at our next slide. This is the reason 
Steve Runciman wrote a three-volume book called The History of the Crusades in 1951. He said, and this is the lies you're going to hear, that the Crusaders went to the Holy Land just to get wealthy. Actually, the opposite's true. Many of them went broke trying to pay to go. Many risked everything in the name of protecting the Holy Land. And in fact, other than the First Crusade, they all failed. They really weren't successful. So the Crusaders were not these money-hungry, power-hungry people. They were trying to liberate Jerusalem. Did they slow the Muslims a little bit? Did they stop them? No. The Muslim empire continued to expand. Listen to what happened. They conquered all Christian territories, the Balkans, Eastern Europe, Constantinople, as we said. He said in this book that the Christians were the barbarians bent on destroying a peaceful Islam culture that the Crusades were unjust wars of Christian aggression, a myth that many of you have heard and believe that's not true. The church has never taught, or never, excuse me, taught that this was supposed to be a mission of conquest, a mission of money, it was a mission of freedom. Now, to do it, they had to fight. So the church has never taught that all violence is sinful. In fact, St. Augustine tells us there can be just wars. Divine revelation tells us in the Bible that you can fight. What did David do? He fought. What did the Israelites do? They fought. You know, a review of the historical records of the Crusades show that this was a good reason to fight. The Old Testament gives us tons of examples where God sanctioned the Jewish people to fight. The same happened here. So we're going to finish today. It's going to be a shorter talk today. Were the Crusades just wars? Were they? You ever hear that just war? What was a just war? Well, World War II stopping Hitler, something like that. Yeah. The Crusades, were they just wars? Well, let's look at this. Was America, let's our next slide. Were they holy wars? Or were they stomp, stampedes for money and power and riches? Were the Crusades like the United States going over to Europe in World War II and helping defend against the Nazis? Most scholars will say no. The Crusade was actually spiritual. We were fighting in World War II to stop an evil Hitler or an empire of Japan. And that's why God blesses, I believe, the Polish and the Filipino people. No nation suffered in World War II more than the Polish in Europe at the hands of the Nazis. But no nation remained more Catholic than the Polish, even after being decimated by the Nazis. God rewarded them for being faithful. Likewise, in World War II, no nation suffered at the hands of Japan more than the Philippines. 
but yet no nation remained more faithfully Catholic than the Philippines. That's why I believe they are a chosen people. I finally was able to finagle to spend the entire month of September in the Philippines. I'll be going out there to speak to hundreds of bishops and priests. It's their annual retreat in the Philippines where all the priests and bishops of the Philippines come together. And I'm going to have the honor of speaking to them. I'll be out there for a week retreat. We priests have to do an annual retreat. I'll be out there to speak to all the priests and bishops of the Philippines. And that is one message I want to relate. Your role as God's current chosen people. We are a Polish order. I feel the same way about Poland. But when we went over to World War II and to Europe, we were fighting to liberate against an evil. The difference with these crusades is it was spiritual. The Pope said that you can wipe out your sins if you want to go to heaven, I'm granting an indulgence that if you help liberate the Holy Land, not kill Muslims, there's a big difference. But if you want to help liberate the Holy Land, you'll be given indulgence to be forgiven and freedom of your punishment. So many chivalry knights rose up and wanted to do this. So this first crusade was called to offer the sinners of Europe a path to penance for their sins. Nobles who were fighting each other back in Europe all of a sudden turned and said, let's fight the enemies of Jesus. Let's liberate Jerusalem. So this first crusade included super good people and some criminals and not good not so, not so much good people. That's the ones who did some of the bad things. It explains some of the violence that happened later because these crusading forces had both good and bad people, just like anything today. Every nation has good and bad people. Every family has good and bad people. Every company has good and bad people. This is a fact. So it was chivalry, religion, and taking up of arms came together in a sacred army for a sacred cause. Did they always live up to the good ideal? No, but the cause was good. Did they make mistakes? Yes. So there is such a thing as a just war in the church, and the Crusades fit into that category. If anybody challenges you, what about the Crusades? Why are you Catholic? How could you be Catholic? When they did the Crusades, you say, well, actually, do you know what the just war theory is about? Do you know what the just war theory says? It says there are times in self-defense that you need to stand up. And that's what, thank God for the Crusades, or we wouldn't have a church today. You know what? You wouldn't even have non-Catholic Christian churches today. You wouldn't have Baptists. If you, are, if you are approached by a Methodist, a Baptist, a Presbyterian, a Pentecostal, and they accuse you about the Crusades, you can say, do you realize if it wasn't for the Crusades, your religion wouldn't exist today? No Christian religion would. 
Because when the Crusades happened, that 200 years in the 11th, 12th, 13th century, there was no other Catholic faith or Christian faith but Catholicism. There was no Methodist, Baptist, um, um, Lutherans. There were none. There was only the Catholic Church. Had the Crusaders not done something, all of Christianity would have been wiped out. And we would have no knowledge of Jesus today. We'd all be Muslim. So the next time somebody comes after you about the Crusades, you could say, you know, you ought to thank God that there were some brave men who stood up and didn't let Christianity disappear from the face of the earth. You should be thankful. So the Crusades, who we are accused of being imperialism and unjust aggression against the Muslims, actually was the opposite. People think, oh, these were poor Muslims. They didn't have anything. And the high and mighty and the rich Europeans came and killed them. No, actually, the Muslim civilizations were the wealthy ones. They were the sophisticated and the powerful. The West was weak and poor. They were the third world. I bet you've never heard that. So the church should teach why the first crusade happened in the first place. Let's look at this. Why? Why did Urban II call it? Let's look at our next slide. Urban II called the first crusade for four reasons. One, to rectify disorder and reform the church. Yes, we had a lot of issues internally. Two, for the salvation of souls. The crusaders could earn an indulgence, pay for their sins, do penance by liberating innocent people of Jerusalem. Three, to bring aid to the Eastern Christians, even though the Eastern Christians defied the West, left the Pope, rejected the Pope, the West said, you know what? You're still our brothers. Even though you defy the Pope now, you're still our brothers and we're gonna help you. And finally, to protect Jerusalem and the Holy Land. So I wanna show you a quick video. It's only two minutes long where a guy named Brian Mercier, he is one, I've shown some videos from him before on Mary. Believe it or not, we're almost done here. We don't have too much more. Much shorter talk today. But this is a two minute video that's gonna give you an example of everything that I've been saying so far so that you know it's not just me. <laughs> Let's watch. Many people say that the Catholic Church started the Crusades because they were a power-hungry church that just wanted uh, to dominate other religions, that they were intolerant, and that they pretty much persecuted anyone who disagreed with them. They wanted wealth and all of these other myths and misconceptions, but these couldn't be farther from the truth. We're going to discuss the Crusades and what they were about in two minutes. Muhammad, as you all know, was the founder of Islam, and he didn't have much success preaching in the city of Mecca. They actually kicked him out, where he fled to Medina, and he ended up having more success there and ended up raising a little bit of an army there. And with that army, he went back to Mecca and sacked it, raising it to the ground, just destroying it. And from then on, he spent the rest of his life on the battlefield fighting wars for Islam. By the time he died, he had conquered the whole Fertile Crescent. And after his death, it got even more so, the armies of Islam 
grew and conquered more and more and more. In fact, from 657 AD to 757 AD, they conquered everything from Afghanistan all the way over to North Africa and up into Europe, which they probably would have succeeded if it weren't for the Franks who stopped them. Uh, but the thing is, they continued to battle and battle and take over the world. In fact, they conquered the whole Persian Empire, they conquered the whole Roman Empire, and they had conquered half of the Byzantine Empire. And it was at this point that the head, Commodore Alexius I, called for help from the Pope. Now, this is the same Commodore. This is the same Byzantine Empire that broke away from the Pope and rebelled against them. And now they were calling on the Pope for help? Well, the Pope prayed about it for a really long time. And in the end, he said, you know what? Our brothers in the East need our help. There are innocent people dying. So we're, we are going to gather an army. We're going to help them. That's why the Crusades were started. They were wars of self-defense. They were wars of actually helping other people in need and protecting Christians around the world who were being killed. People over in the Holy Land were actually being killed. Christians who were on pilgrimage going there were actually being killed sometimes by the thousands. So to create a safe passage for them, they were going to take the Holy Land, make it safe for them, and they were going to help the Byzantine Empire. That's why the Crusades were started. There were wars of self-defense. All right, so not only does that Brian talk fast as I do, I think his points are almost exactly in line with the points I've been making as well. And these come from some great, great people. Um, some very many uh, uh, scholars that we have turned to uh, throughout the years. Like I forgot to mention Steve Weidenkopf was the one that I pulled a lot of information out that I just read the statistics and the history. So he has some great material out there and some work that he did. So I wanted to mention him. Um, very good. Now, if you watch that video and you've listened to what I've been saying, it's clear that it was centuries of jihad, that means holy war, and the invasion of many Christian lands that prompted for centuries that prompted the Crusades. For instance, what are some of the examples? You know, Spain was always a Christian land, but before the invasions came in the 700s, they were Christian. Before the invasions from the South in the 700s, they were Christian. After that, they became Moors. And it took centuries for the Christians to get Spain back. It wouldn't be a Christian country today if it wasn't for the Crusades. What about John VIII, Pope John VIII? He essentially had to pay protection money to prevent Rome from being assaulted. We had to pay ransom. Something's wrong with that. Could you imagine if it was reported in the news that the Catholic Church was demanding ransom for the Jehovah Witnesses or we were gonna take over everything they ever owned? My gosh, you'd, you'd, you'd be the front page news for 25 years. <laughs> and so we don't want to lose sight of the reality here. All right, let's look at our next slide. This was a real problem. In the Mediterranean was piracy. Islamic piracy were capturing Christians and enslaving them. You know, we hear all this talk and of course we should, because of course it was not right, but the 1619 project and all that, and that was horrible. But do you know Barbarossa and Islam's slave trade was infinitely greater than the European 
African-American slave trade. Both are horrendously wrong. Don't get me wrong. Please don't send me the letters. Please don't tell my superior that I'm saying there's nothing wrong with the European African-American slave trade. I can't condemn it enough, okay? But I'm also saying the Islamic slave trade was 10 times greater. You don't believe me? Look up Barbarossa and what he did to the Christian slaves and the slave trade that was being conducted. Do you know, in fact, it lasted so long. Do you know that President Thomas Jefferson, that's why he formed the Marines, the United States Marine Corps was founded for that purpose. My dad is a Marine from the halls of Montezuma to the shores of Tripoli. We will fight our country's battles in the air, the land, and the sea. That's the Marine Corps hymn. The, sh the shores of Tripoli was this Islamic slave trade, the, the harassment. And Thomas Jefferson formed the United States Marine Corps to fight that. We don't know this stuff. We don't know our history because it's all being canceled. All right, the Spanish, they were so brutalized, and I'm not making excuses, but when they came to the New World, they too were brutal. Now, if the, if, the, if the society wants to today to say everybody's a victim, and therefore, even if you do horrible things, it was because of the way you were treated in your past, then you could make the argument, well, then Spain, when they did dumb things in the New World, was because of the way they were treated. I'm not making that argument, I promise you. I'm not but you can't have a double standard. Now, the first crusade, as we said, was called to help the Holy Land, we said that. Because Christians like the Coptics, those are the Egyptian Christians, and other Christians were forced to flee like they are today. Christians were forced to leave. We are facing the same thing today, but the media doesn't tell you that. The Coptic Christians are the most incredible people in my book because they're remaining faithful and they're being surrounded by hostile other religions. And they're being murdered for their faith. A hundred thousand Christians every year die for their faith, persecuted, tortured, is into the hundreds of thousands. But we don't hear anything about that on the news. None of that. Over this number are killed for their faith. These Christians, back in the times of the Crusades in the Holy Land, also received that kind of treatment at the hands of the new rulers from Islam. We did fault too. We made mistakes. When we conquered Jerusalem to take it back, we killed Muslims. There was, there's no arguing that. You, you don't have to tell me in a letter that I didn't point that out. I'm pointing it out. But we have to look at what was behind all this. All right. There was even the Jews were impacted. The Jews were wrongfully hurt and caught in the middle of the crossfire here. Spanish Catholics, they must acknowledge their anti-Semitism. Right. And the global war of conquest after 1492 and what they did to the indigenous peoples here. But they too were a victim at the hands of Islam. So we're not saying any of this is right. All of it is wrong. And I hope we learn from it. Instead of canceling this and canceling our history and the cancel culture, let's learn from it. This is crazy. 
the church doesn't deny that its members have committed some evil acts in the name of the faith. In the year 2000, John Paul II went with leaders of the church and did public penance on behalf of the church. Now, I want to explain this. They did public penance. I mean, you know what? Actually, I'm going to hold that to the end because that's so important. But don't make the mistake of assuming that the Crusades were all evil, just about imperialism, nothing to do about invasion or protecting pilgrims, none of that. It was all about greed and power. No. There was some stupidity, but that's not why the church called it. Just because the church called it doesn't mean it was used the right way. God gave us our human sexuality. Some people are going to misuse it. They're going to look at pornography, go to prostitutes. Are you going to blame God? No, God says, don't do that. I'm giving you the gift of your sexuality. Don't misuse it. Well, if it's gone to be misused, do you say, well, gee, it's God's fault. No, God said not to do it. It's the same with the church. The church said, go and free Jerusalem. It didn't say rape or pillage. And if some of that did happen, because I know I'm going to get the letters, I'm not denying that it didn't happen. The church isn't denying that it didn't happen, but the church did not sanction that. The church did not say, go and steal and loot and take, bring back the riches. Like all the other crazy non-Catholics will tell you, even Catholics believe this. It's not true. It's true that some stuff happened. It's true that bad things happened. But not because the church said to do those things. Just like God doesn't say misuse your sexuality. God says, I'm giving it to you and giving you the guidance and the rules. Stay within the rules. The rules is it's a share between man and a woman within marriage. Outside of marriage, you're misusing it. Just like outside of the intent of free in Jerusalem, the crusaders may have misused what they were told to do by the church, just like we misuse what we are told to do by God. But everybody wants to blame the church. There were some members of the church that are to fault, but not the teaching of the church. That's my point. All right, so let's finish here because we do have to recognize this. All right, so the church, the crusaders, Here's what's, I think, very important. Crusaders were often, we were told that they were going to look to get a bunch of money. But you know that they were actually kings, like King Louis Ninth, and lords in Europe. They had them and their heirs risk everything. In fact, many lost their fortune. How could it be about getting rich for King Louis, who already had a rich kingdom, and he put it all on the line to go fight the Crusades? You know, in fact, the Pope called the Crusades true, but the church didn't run them. They were run by the nations and the military of those countries. They were not run by the popes. All he did is say, let's stand up and defend the Christian lands. So can Christians go to war then in good conscience? This is where I want to finish with just war theory. Can we, I once um, had about an hour long conversation. I was driving, um, I think I was driving to Buffalo to do a filming a couple years ago. And I got a call and I didn't get two words out on this phone call because 
this person had gotten my phone number from the office and called me. And then I had my, my office phone forwarded to my cell phone. So I picked it up. And I'll never forget this conversation because this guy told me that I had mentioned on Memorial Day to pray for the soldiers, for their love that they laid down their life for you and me. And this man on the phone says, how dare you tell us to honor war? Are we honoring war? No, we're honoring the men that laid down their life and gave their life so that you and I can worship this God of ours. And so this man on the phone tore into me for I couldn't get a word in edgewise saying, nowhere is this church teaching. The church does not teach even self-defense. Jesus said to turn the cheek. Yes, Jesus did. But Jesus wasn't weak. Jesus overturned the money changer tables, right? At an injustice. Now, what do I mean by all this? All right. Can Christians go to war in good conscience? Actually, yes, under certain circumstances. Very tight. But Catholic thinkers have been developing the just war theory for years. You know where it came from? Augustine. St. Augustine. For instance, if there was no just war theory, we'd, the whole world would be under the rule of Adolf Hitler. But he was stopped. The evils of Nazi Germany and Imperial Japan in World War II were stopped and the world was saved because of it was a just war. But many conflicts are not considered just by the church. For instance, John Paul II argued that America's invasion of Iraq actually was not just based on the just war theory. I was surprised. He actually said that. That is legitimate. The church has the tradition of condemning most but not all war. Man, I know I'm going to get the letters here. And that's okay. Because you can look up everything I'm going to tell you. This is church teaching, I promise you. Let's start with what the church teaches about war. You know, my dad is a Marine and he was trying to, it was probably about five years ago, he was at a funeral as part of the Marine Corps Color Guard. And they were at a funeral and some protesters showed up with signs because this man whose funeral was somebody who was killed in Afghanistan or Iraq. So he was a military man and they were ready to have his funeral and all these protesters came with signs yelling and screaming that he's going to hell because he was a, a killer. And my dad is there with the Marine Corps. My dad's a Vietnam Marine out of Da Nang. <clears throat> my dad's not a killer, but my dad will lay his life down for freedom. So these people come and they do all this protest <clears throat> and they're screaming, holding signs, condemning this young man whose funeral. Can you imagine how the parents felt? And all of a sudden, 
this huge group of bikers <laughs> showed up with American flags and crosses, modern day crusaders, <laughs> and showed up and stopped, stood in between these protesters so that the funeral could continue. No family deserves to have to go through that. So when I heard that story, I started to go back to my seminary notes. And that's what I'm going to share with you today. Finishing now with what does the church say about war? All right. Let's look at our next slide. Catechism 2265. This is right out of the catechism. Legitimate defense can can be not only a right, but a grave duty. This is the catechism. Legitimate defense can be not only a right, but a grave duty for one who is responsible for the lives of others. And in the Crusades, that was the church. The defense of the common good requires that an unjust aggressor be rendered unable to cause harm. Adolf Hitler, Imperial Japan, advancing Islam, taking and killing pilgrims in Jerusalem. For this reason, those who legitimately hold authority also have the right to use arms to repel aggressors against the civil community entrusted to their responsibility. This is right out of the catechism. All right. That's important. I don't have a slide for this, but I want to read you another catechism, 2309. The strict conditions for the use of legitimate defense by military force requires rigorous consideration. What does that mean? I'm not sitting up here saying anytime we want for any reason at all, we can go to war. False. The gravity of such a decision makes it subject to rigorous conditions of moral legitimacy. Now, here's what the catechism says. Before you can go to war, you must look at this. One, the damage inflicted by the aggressor on the nation or community must be grave, significant. It can't just be name-calling. Two, all other means of putting an end to it must have been shown to be ineffective. Negotiation. So first, it must be serious. Two, you must try to negotiate. Third, there must be serious chance of success. To send a bunch of men into battle to know they're all going to die? It's not moral. Fourth, the use of arms must not produce evils and disorders greater than the evil to be eliminated. What does that mean? That means if you're going to war to stop one country from farming on another country's land, but you're going to slaughter everybody in the meantime, that means that the evil wasn't as great as the evil you're going to perpetrate to fix. So all of this is summarized in one of the hardest to understand concept I learned in seminary. 
And if you can stick with me on this one, you earn your seminary certificate. <laughs> it's called the principle of double effect. And it applies beautifully, not just to war, but let me give you an example. A mother is pregnant. She's gonna have a baby. And they discover that the pregnancy, the fertilized egg, instead of making its way to the uterus, got caught in the fallopian tube. What's it called, an ectopic, ectopic pregnancy. Now, the doctors tell you, you gotta make a choice. Can you imagine this? You either gotta do the surgery to save the baby, but it's gonna cost the mother's life, or you're gonna make the procedure that's gonna have to terminate the pregnancy to save the mother's life. What do you do? Is it evil? Is it evil if that family chooses to save the mother's life and they lose the baby? Most non-Catholics would accuse us Catholics of saying yes. No, not necessarily. This principle of double effect answers that question. According to the law of the church called double effect, it is permissible to take an action which has two effects, one good and one evil. This is a case in point. You're gonna save the life of the mother and the child will die, or you're gonna save the child and the mother will die. One good, one bad, no matter which choice you make, one result's gonna be good, one result is gonna be bad. So what we do as we look at the conditions. And this is what we want to show you on the screen. The principle of double effect. Again, you stick with me on this, you earn your seminary certificate. If these three conditions apply, you can do the action. Another case in point is the bombing of Japan in World War II. The bombing of Japan is evil but the good was it'll end the war and save many American lives. So is that justified? Let's look at the principle of double effect. One, the action itself must not be intrinsically evil. Okay, so back to the mother. A surgery to save either the mother or a surgery to save the baby is not intrinsically evil. Either choice I make to, to do surgery to the mother or for the mother or do surgery to save the baby is not intrinsically evil. So first one is the action cannot be intrinsically evil itself. Neither one is. Well, Father, bombing Hiroshima is intrinsically evil. Actually, that's warfare. And in a just war, it's not evil necessarily. It can be, but not necessarily. Two, the evil effect must not be an end in itself or a means to accomplish the good. In other words, you foresee it, but you don't want it. So I know by saving my wife's life that it's gonna cause the death of the child. I foresee that, but I don't want it. I'm not purposely having that surgery for my wife to kill the baby, that's called abortion. You see the difference? So, 
It's foreseen but undesired. So in other words, the evil effect must not be an end in itself. In other words, I'm not purposely having that surgery to kill the baby. I'm having the surgery to save as much as I can. Both lives, hopefully, or at least one life. And third, the evil effect must not outweigh the good effect. So in other words, which life is worth more? Catholics are accused all the time of saying we honor the baby's life in the womb more than the mother. That is not true. Both lives are equal. So losing one is not greater than losing another or less than losing the other. So if all these things can be met, it is permissible to do the action. So in that case of the mother, it is permissible to do either one. It's a heart-wrenching, horrendous choice a family would ever have to make. And I have heard stories of mothers who have chosen to give their life for the child. But for the mothers who the family has chosen to live, and the child was unintentionally killed in the effort to save the mom, do not condemn them. Do not condemn them. So if these three conditions are met, the action may be taken, despite the fact that a negative will occur. That's why it's called double effect. All right? So the law of double effect would have, would not have applied, the church says, believe it or not, to the atomic bomb. I disagreed for many years. It saved American lives. And I still, in a way, see that and feel that. But as a priest, I have to follow church teaching, not like a blind robot, but because I submit my conscience to say, okay, Lord, fill my heart with understanding here. The reason why the bombing of Hiroshima does not fall into the principle of double effect is that the situation that even though dropping bombs in and of itself is not intrinsically evil, it's called warfare. And, and through it, it is arguable that more lives were saved. Yes, because then America saved more lives. The second condition was violated. Do you remember the second condition? The second condition says, the evil must not be the end in itself. And in the bombing of Hiroshima, the, e the evil was kill these people to make it the good happen of the war stop. That's a tough one. That's a very difficult one. I can't necessarily say that I fully agree to that, but I have to submit to it. So the second condition was violated because the death of the innocent was used as a means to achieve the goal. The means never justify the end and the ends never justify the means is arguable. So we have to look at this. However, the United States, more than any nation in the world, is committed to the principle of sparing innocent life. No other nation in this world 
has tried harder to spare innocent lives. And this is true during military operations. Captive populations in the war of terrorism, the U.S. has gone out of their way to protect the citizens. The U.S. is committed to the principles of just war. Praise be God. All right, that's it. We are done, but I think if you were to wrap up everything we say here, was the crusade a just war? One, war is not intrinsically evil in and of itself, not necessarily. Two, the goal was not to kill Muslims. So we're gonna look at the three principles of the double effect. One, was the act evil? No, war in and of itself can be for self-defense. Two, was the goal to kill Muslims? No, it was to free Jerusalem. Three, the evil killing, did it outweigh the good effect? No, because it, 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 it brought back Christ and the faith to the world. So then why were the crusades not more successful? Why were they not more effective? Many theologians will tell you, God withhold victory from us because the people were sinful, the Christians. It led to a movement in Europe of piety and repentance. It purified the Christian society in every way because they realized how close they were to being lost. And I, this is where I earlier said about John Paul II, and I said, we'll get to that. You know, John Paul II apologized, and all my non-Catholic friends tell me this, that he apologized for the Crusades. Did he? Ah, John Paul II apologized for the sins of Catholics who took part in the Crusades. John Paul II never apologized for the Crusades themselves. That's what you need to remember. He apologized for the sins that happened, not for the Crusades themselves. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, God bless everybody. I want to offer you a chance to help our ministry. We want just a couple of announcements. Uh, Bowen, if you could show on our screen. I have a series of talks on DVD called Explaining the Faith. You can get them here at our bookstore, our bookstore right here at the National Shrine of Divine Mercy, or you can visit our website at shopmercy.org or call us at 800 462-7426. I have several talks on that DVD. I talk about Mary. I talk about divine mercy. I talk about confession. I talk about the mass. I have all kinds of talks that we hope you'll pick up. And we've got graphics, videos, slideshows. We have everything on there for you. So we hope you'll get it. If not, if you're more of a reader, I wonder if we could put our next slide up. Please get my book which is also at the gift shop here at the, at, uh, the, on, uh, on our uh, property, or same place, you can get it for any donation, all right? If you visit thedivinemercy.org slash UDM, or again, call the same 800 number, 462-7426. And I wanna finish by a couple little things. Become a Marian helper. You know what? We share in the graces of these masses, prayers, rosaries, penances. If you're a Marian helper and there's no cost, 
there's no, there's no, it, it, it takes 10 seconds to sign up. Just visit micprayers.org, M-I-C for Marion's Immaculate Conception, micprayers.org, takes 10 seconds, doesn't cost anything, become a Marian helper, see our next slide, and you know what you get? You get a lot of grace. Your ability to get to heaven depends on grace, and we're going to need all the grace we get. And there's a lot of grace in masses, prayers, rosaries, and penances. And when you're a Marian helper, you share in the graces of all our masses, prayers, rosaries, penances, just like you were a Marian of the Immaculate Conception. Yeah, can't beat that. So please sign up, be a Marian helper, micprayers.org or .com. And I hope you can join us because I'll be going on two pilgrimages in the next two years. Please join us. We'll show Owen on the screen on October the 14th through the 24th of this year. Guess where we're going? We're going into the footsteps of St. Paul. We will be in the lands that were, we talked about here today that were originally Christian. We're going to be in Turkey and other places. can do a lot of praying while you're there for the conversion back to Christianity. Steve Ray, if you haven't been with him before, is my one of my good friends. So it's got one of the best pilgrimages out there. And you can join us for this cruise, which it's open and you don't require a vaccination. And finally, the France pilgrimage. If you want to join us next year, June 20th through July 2nd of 2022, in the shrines of France. That's really where the heart of the pilgrimage started, or the crusade started, was in France. And so you can join me and Deacon Harold Sivers, great guy. If you haven't, he's awesome. And so let us finish now with a prayer. And next week, you know, I, I, if you tuned in today and you said, Father, I thought you were going to talk more about Islam in terms of what they believe and do they believe in a trinity, not believe in a trinity? What's the differences in belief? What's the role of Islam in the end times? That'll all be next week. So I separated two talks out because there was just so much. So next week, we're going to talk about the role of Islam in God's salvation history. What is, what do we agree on? What do we disagree on? What are the problems? What are the solutions? It's very important because right now, for the first time in human history, there are more Muslims than Catholics in the world. So we have to know each other. We have to understand each other. And so join us next week as we talk about that. Today we talked about crusades, but next week we're going to talk about Islam and the relation with Christianity and what you need to know. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we ask you to send the Holy Spirit down upon all of you to continue to have a beautiful, grace-filled, rich day full of mercy. We ask for healing for all of those who are wounded, and we ask for reconciliation between all peoples on earth, especially Jews, Christians, and Muslims. We ask that the truth of Christ will prevail, and all will see the truth that is given to us through Jesus Christ and his church. And may Almighty God bless you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, and we'll see you next week. Please follow or subscribe to this podcast 
to receive the latest episodes and updates. If you have been blessed by this podcast, I invite you to leave a review. Reviews greatly improve our podcast ranking and will help spread this podcast to other people throughout the world. Are you enjoying this podcast? I invite you to listen to more shows brought to you by the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception. Join us daily for enriching spiritual content, which will help you on your journey with Jesus Christ. Simply visit DivineMercyPlus.org for a complete list of our shows. That's DivineMercyPlus.org. Are you a Marian Helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily Masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you.